123, which is one of the shortest of the Psalms of Ascent, and the lesson tonight will be correspondingly short. The first three of the Psalms of Ascent seem to give us a travelogue as we walk toward Jerusalem and then arrive there, and the rest seem almost as if they were being sung within the city, and yet most likely they were all sung on the way to the city by groups of people as they uh, came into the city for the feast. Here we have in Psalm 123 a rather more downbeat series of reflections. To thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou who art enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shall be gracious to us. Be gracious to us, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. The psalm begins as the other psalm, 121, begins with the directing of the eyes to the throne of God. The first time it was to the mountains around Jerusalem, or perhaps the mountain, Mount Zion. Here it's to what that was the earthly signature of, what is signified in the mountain is the reality in heaven. And so the psalmist says, as these people are coming to Jerusalem, they lift up their eyes to God in heaven, the one who is enthroned in the heavens, the one who has all power, the one who is able to do all things. And they bring a petition to him. In fact, so much do they look to him that they compare themselves to slaves. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid looks to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shall be gracious to us. We're not used to having slaves or servants in our society, and so we're not really familiar with it. Probably none of us here have ever had a personal servant. Unfortunately, there's a television program that shows this called Murder Most English, which is a dramatization of the Dorothy Sayers' Lord Peter Wimsey mystery novels. Unfortunately, it's on at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, so none of us ever get to see it. Unless somebody were to videotape it. I've seen it in other places. Of course, Dorothy Sayers was a professing Christian, and there are Christian elements in these stories. But Lord Peter Wimsey, who is the investigator, has a gentleman's gentleman who lives with him and is his personal butler. And if you ever get a chance to watch this program, one of the things to watch, in addition to the fact that they're real good stories and you uh, get a good picture of Dorothy Sayers' literature, is to watch how the gentleman's gentleman treats his gentleman. He knows everything about Peter Wimsey. He knows what time he's going to get up. He knows what he's going to want first thing in the morning. If something bad has happened, he knows what he's going to want to eat as a result. He keeps his attention focused on the man who is his employer and works to satisfy his every need. If they go on a trip, he packs. He knows exactly what Lord Peter's going to need if they're going north to Scotland or south to Wales or wherever they're going to go. That is the way a servant looks to the hand of his master if he is a good servant in the Old Testament. They had servants and slaves, as we don't today. Also, the maid looks to the hand of her mistress. There again is a reference to a female slave who would be a servant of a woman, of a wealthy Israelite woman, possibly someone brought in from a caravan and then purchased by the Israelites and brought within the covenant that way. Sometimes female slaves were married to, were bought for being married to men or to the children of a wealthy man, but most often they were servants of wealthy ladies. And here again, this maid will have the same relationship to her mistress, watching 
every least indication of a need or a want or a command. In those cultures, they spoke less than we do and indicated more with their hands. Americans do not talk with their hands very much. We don't have an agreed-upon way of talking with our hands. But in those cultures, they did. You can just imagine in a tent, the servant watching from the side, and the master does this with his hand, and that indicates something needs to be done. You can see this today. Sometimes a glass needs to be refilled, for instance. Just a simple indication like that, or with the eye, might indicate to the servant needs to refill the glass of the guest who is in the room. And so the servant looks to the eyes of his master for everything, not just for what to do, but also for blessing and for handouts or for provision for rewards. And in this way it says, our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shall be gracious to us. It's not immediately apparent what the connection is between looking to the Lord as one looks to the hand of a master until he shall be gracious to us. But the psalmist in context seems to be saying that there's a problem, that they're not experiencing the grace and happiness that they would expect, and so they wait patiently on the Lord until he shall be pleased to bestow it upon them. And then that turns to a prayer. Be gracious to us, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. It seems that these people, wherever they're from, are living in a situation where they're surrounded by non-believers or people who profess belief but who don't take it very seriously. They are regarded with contempt, perhaps because they don't have as much money, perhaps because they are regarded as religious fanatics perhaps because they're aliens or strangers, they're regarded with contempt. Contempt is a particularly difficult thing to take. Most of us probably haven't ever been in a situation where we had to take a lot of sheer contempt. But contempt is a pretty cold thing to have to swallow. Being ignored is sometimes worse than being attacked. If you have something to say or if you want to be noticed and you're simply treated with contempt, it's very hard. And the contempt that these people experience is identified with the covenant. You have to always understand that, especially in the Psalms, those who are experiencing contempt, it's God who experiences the contempt when they experience contempt. And so it's on that basis that they can go to him and ask him to deliver them. Ultimately, the one who prays this prayer is Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who looked to the Lord for blessing. He is the one who was greatly filled with contempt more than anyone else. He is the one whose soul was filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. And he is the one eventually to whom the Lord was gracious. I'd like to take just a couple of minutes and comment upon this matter of being patient under adversity, which this speaks to. And if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 includes a discussion of suffering. And it says here, in verses 3 and following, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. See, the people to whom the author of Hebrews were writing were themselves enduring hostility because they were converted Jews living in Israel at the time. And he asked them to compare their situation with that of Jesus Christ so that they will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus had given a parable in Luke 18 to men that they might not lose heart. 
And it was the parable of the woman who comes to the unjust judge and says, Avenge me of mine adversaries, and persists until the judge passes a verdict on her behalf, and she gets the vengeance that she needs. And so there's nothing wrong with praying for vengeance against the adversaries, but the problem is that we can tend to grow weary and lose heart in the struggle. He says, after all, verse 4, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Jesus Christ was tempted to sin in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he strove and strove and said, Father, not my will but thine be done, and he strove against the temptation not to go to the cross, he sweat blood. That's what's referred to here, not to persecution, but to the resisting of temptation actually caused Jesus to shed blood. And he says, we haven't come to that point yet. And if we can consider him and live in his power, then we'll be able to go through the tribulation. And then he says in verse 5, You have forgotten the consolation which reasons with you as sons. That's actually the better translation there. You have forgotten the consolation, exhortation or consolation, which is addressed to you as sons or which reasons with you as sons. God reasons with us to try to help us understand the suffering. So here, just as these people in the Old Covenant said that they were like slaves and they asked God for help in suffering, so in the New Covenant, we who are sons and daughters can go to God and ask for help in suffering. And this is the reasoning that God uses. This is what God wants us to think about. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Discipline, suffering, is a sign that God loves us and that we are his children. And we must not respond to it wrongly. There are two possible wrong responses listed here. One is to regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That is to adopt a stoic attitude and try to shrug it off and say, Well, here's all these people around who are contemptuous toward us. There it is, and we have to suffer the contempt of the proud. Well, we harden up our personalities against that and say, we will not take any notice of it. It doesn't matter. These people don't count. Be stoic and shrug it off. And not realize that if we're being mistreated by someone in the world, it's God who causes that to happen. It's God who's mistreating us. You see, nothing happens that God doesn't cause to come to pass. So if someone mistreats you, it's God who's mistreating you. If someone expresses contempt for you or harms you in some way, it's God that brought that to pass. Somebody beats you up, it's God who brought that to pass. Now, that doesn't excuse them of sin, but anything that is unpleasant, uncomfortable, or involves suffering comes from the Lord. We must not be stoic and shrug it off. Pretend that somehow God didn't have a hand in this, that this isn't a chastisement, not necessarily a chastisement now, but a discipline, a discipline with a good purpose from the Lord. We mustn't be stoic and shrug it off. And the second response to discipline is just the opposite extreme nor faint when you are reproved by him. Okay, now we realize that something bad has happened. Our car blew up, and the Lord has caused that to happen, and the Lord is the one who's now taken several thousand dollars out of your pocketbook to get a new car. And so instead of being stoic and shrugging it off, now we become all depressed, and we faint. But the Bible says neither one. We have to be open to the discipline, but we have to pray through it and work through it and not lose heart. By fixing our eyes upon Jesus and his suffering, by remembering that we are sons, and that when we understand, see, all these bad things happen to the heathen too, don't they? People break into their houses. 
their children get killed. Their children get kidnapped. We could make a list of horrible things that can happen. Things like that happen to the heathen too. And yet because they don't see it as chastisement from the Lord, they get no benefit from it. But we know as Christians that when something like that happens to us, it's from the Lord and it's for our good, even though it hurts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 10, it says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet. Verse 15, See that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. These to become bitter also under discipline, if it endures for a long time. These are not the right responses. One has to be transparent and open to God when bad things happen. One also has to pray them through and think through to see that God means this for a good purpose. And that's the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 123. In spite of the fact that he is experiencing what he calls contempt, the scoffing of those who are at ease and the contempt of the proud, still he looks to God, he keeps his eyes focused upon the Lord, just as in Hebrews 12 we're told to focus our attention on Jesus Christ and his sufferings for us. Just as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of our mistress, so our eyes look unto the Lord our God until the time comes that he will be gracious to us. Most of us haven't had to go through anything really intense like this, but probably sometime in your life you've had something really bad happen to you. And you can probably look back on that and realize that you probably didn't go through it the right way. And you may see that you alternated between trying to pretend like it didn't really happen and getting so depressed about it, both of which are wrong because both of those things block out God. What we have to do is say, Lord, you brought this, and we thank you because you brought it for a good reason. And that's not the easy thing to do but that's the only way to get through it and grow from it. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Mm